Hi everyone, this is Joshua Hoffman and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success and discuss a few things they learned along the way. Today I have Tammy Coleman, the founder and president of Element 212, a research-based branding firm helping businesses attract, engage, and retain their ideal customers. Welcome, Tammy. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So I want to start off with your college experience, um, specifically your MBA, because we've had a range, a wide range of guests um, with varying education levels. So uh, I'm going to start off with a weird question, but do you think getting your MBA was worth it? Uh, I think in the intangible side of things, it was worth it. It helped to slow me down. It helped to, uh, I don't know, help me prioritize my time. Uh, on the learning side, which is really why I went back, I thought I'd plateaued as a business owner. And I thought, oh, if I go back for my MBA, that would help me really know how to run the company. I would say it wasn't very helpful on that side of things. Why Why specifically? Um. I think partly because when you run a business, there's no good textbook plan for it. Uh, when I started the company, it had uh, a business model that uh, didn't really make it, uh, wasn't really a good business model. And I learned that pretty quickly and had to uh, be agile and pivot so we could continue to bring in revenue. It was our only source of income. I wasn't working somewhere else on the side. So that was uh, a challenge. Um, and so with with college, it's very textbook and very black and white, uh, which is not how the real world works. And so I, it was somewhat difficult to apply a lot of what I was learning in in school to, you know, really what was happening in the real world. I think that's the biggest reason. Would you would you change like the, if you were the the dean of the student, would you change the content that's being taught? Or are you kind of saying like the only or best way to learn is just to, to be in it? Um, I think it's a hybrid. There were some classes that um, one was uh, developing a business model for your company. And for, for mine, I actually developed a second location as part of my, you know, and so it's a whole new business model for a second location. And some of those classes were good. And I think those worked really well. But um, I don't really know how you can change the curriculum because you're trying to uh, reach a class of 30 and multiple, you know, different cohorts and everything like that. I, I don't think it's really feasible to make something that's going to really work for a business. And so, so on that flip side of it, I think you really do have to try and apply what you're learning into your business, but it's never really a good fit. So it's, you know, I don't know if they would be able to change anything to really apply for every business. You just have to take what you can and apply it and leave the rest. Okay. Then last question on this. Um, did you have any classes that were just like pointless or you just didn't get anything out of them? Uh, my contracts class and my international business class always stand out to me as flushing money down the toilet. The international business class, we had to write a paper I think it was like every week or two papers every week. The professor never graded them, never gave us feedback. It was just constant papers with no nothing. And so it was completely pointless. Got an A in the class, but I have no idea what I did right or what I did wrong or whatever. Um, and the contracts class, unfortunately, the professor was 
a wonderful guy, but a terrible professor and just didn't know how to really teach. And so he ended up sitting and doing the work for you. And it was it was kind of frustrating when you'd sit down and be like, okay, I need more explanation on this or whatever. He would just sit there and just do it. And it's like, mm, okay, you know, that was a little bit frustrating. And what's really funny is kind of funny. My marketing class that I had um, was the most stressful class of every class I had, ironically, being a marketing professional, because I was a marketing professional. I'm like, if I don't get an A in this class, this is going to be the most embarrassing thing because I was friends with the professor and he you know, loved our company and would refer people to our company. And I'm like, I better get an A in this class because that would be super embarrassing to not get a good grade in the marketing class. <laughs> I... Uh, on your on your lap. Well, so it sounds like it's more or it was, it was more of the professor than than the class. I had a French teacher. I was not. I was not going to say the subject there. I had a teacher in high school one time uh, that he he said, you know, I can't give you the answer, but it's not A, B, or D. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of how his teaching philosophy was, and that's why. Yeah. I don't and you're thinking, you know, when you're on an MBA level, I I think I was expecting it to be a lot more challenging than it was, which was kind of shocking. It could have been my maturity. Um, or the fact that I had a business to be able to use in a lot of applications for classes, but it wasn't as hard as I expected. And I, I don't feel like the professors really held me to a standard that was maybe at that MBA level. And so I think that part was a little bit disappointing. I feel like I walked away with not really much more education, um, but a lot of money later. <laughs> A lot of money, but not a lot of gain. So, yeah. Well, and I know I said that was my last question. Um, maybe my last question. What about like networking? Because a lot of times when, when people, the value they do get out of an MBA or, or you know, any post-grad um, program is the network. And, I, and I've seen that with some of my co-founders that, man, like the ones that go to Penn and some, they, their network is just unbelievable. Did you get any of that side? Not a lot. I mean, at least with my cohort, a lot of the students were um, straight from their bachelor's. So they went straight on, whereas I was, I believe, 33 when I went back. Um, and so I had a handful of years between my undergrad and um, graduate. So um, they, you know, they were just kind of still getting started in their professional career and things like that and didn't have their own connections. It was it was nice uh, connecting with the professors, though, I mean, uh, the university I went to had a lot of great professors um, with really great personalities and really wanted to see people succeed. Um, so it was nice making some good connections there. I'm actually, um, Dr. Fox just invited me a few weeks ago to come and uh, speak at one of his classes. So I'm, you know, I, I get invited back, and I actually adjunct. I was an adjunct professor there for a year. And so, you know, that was a really neat experience. So I've kept a lot of those relationships with the professors and some of who I never had classes with, but, you know, just met along the way. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think, again, I think there could be benefits to going back to school. Uh, it just depends on what your goals are, but, you know, but the networking, eh, not so much. <laughs> so, so taking a step back, um, do you mind just telling us a little bit more about your company? Sure. Um, like how we got started or where would you well, like let's to start with how it got started and then we'll be about. Okay. Um, so I was uh, a stay-at-home mom before I started my company. 
and um, got in with a, a business uh, person who had an advertising agency. And he was really struggling with getting his business. I mean, it had been going for years, but um, his wife had passed who he was working with. She was you know, doing all the kind of admin and operations side of things. And he was just a really good sales rep, but that was about it. And so um, we ended up connecting and um, the crazy person that I am, I think I can do everything. And I'm just like, sure, let's give that a try. So he asked if I would come and help him work with him on his company. Um, so I did that. Um, in that year, uh, I learned that he was not a really great business partner um, just because he was very focused on sales and money. But when he didn't need money, he would stop selling. And so I started my own company um, as uh, honestly a survival uh, piece. You know, I was not ever planning on being an entrepreneur. Um, I was hoping to stay home and raise my kids. So honestly, that's where it got started. So I started my own company on the side while I was um, working with this other company and um, got connected with the flagship enterprise center here. It's just outside of Indianapolis, which is a really great resource for small businesses. And so um, we got really dirt cheap office space and that allowed me to, you know, kind of get out of the house and feel like, okay, this could really go somewhere. Um, and just started building from there. So it started out as my, with myself and a part-time graphic designer, and we were very focused on projects at the time. So we were doing, you know, identity, you know, logos, websites, things like that. Um, in the beginning. And that's that's kind of where we got started. The company has evolved, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but um, that's that's where we got started. Uh, you said you're in, you have the mindset and I'm the same that you think you can do everything. Did that get you in trouble at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that personality, uh, two things for being an entrepreneur. One, um, you have to be a C student, you know, in high school. If you're a, if you're I've got to be a straight A perfectionist. You're never going to make it as an entrepreneur because everything will have to be perfect before you. I was a student, so I really appreciate that. I was a party animal. I started two companies, so yes. Uh, yeah, so I think one, you have to be um, willing to fail and not afraid to fail. But the other, the other piece is really, um, I think what really helped me in those first few years is I'm not afraid to say, I don't know, or, and then, but also say yes to things that I don't know about. So I know my limits, but I'm also very willing to expand and challenge those limits. Uh, so when we got started, uh, I would be talking, networking with people who are interested in certain things around marketing. I'm like, I have no idea what that is. And so I'd go to the office and Google it and, oh yeah, we can do that, you know, and, and kind of saying yes, and then figuring it out on the back end. Um, was a big business model for me in the beginning. Um, but I think that really helped helped us because if I would have said no to these opportunities because I wasn't 100% sure how to do them at the time, uh, we would have never made it. And so, yeah, I, I think it's been helpful in that regard. Uh, has it hurt? Um, probably. There is a, a really great example, but I'm sure... I'm sure there are areas where maybe I've jumped in too soon and we've had to, you know, back up on services or back up on, you know, the approach we want to take. But I, I feel like overall it's, 
it's a positive trait for running a company. Well, you said uh, like sometimes you would have to Google, you know, a solution or something you didn't know. And, and we did talk before this and you shared kind of a story about how you guys, how you got your second customer, um, which was someone speaking in an event. Do you mind just sharing a little bit more about that story? Yeah. Yeah. So our first customer, we were just giving work away. So you'll find if you're starting a new company, you're, you've got to just give it away uh, to build a portfolio or to have case studies or whatever the case may be. But the second um, customer is a little bit different. And for us, it was um, a, a person who was at this event. I went and spoke at the flagship and it was a bunch of professionals who had been in business for a while. And um, I was speaking on customer touch points and different areas within marketing. And a person came up to me afterwards asking if I could do a sponsorship brochure, which, you know, brochure. But I'm like, oh, is there something unique to a sponsorship brochure? I don't know. So I said, oh, yeah, we could do that and whatever. And um, when I went back, you know, had to make a contract and everything, but went back to my office and I'm Googling sponsorship brochure. It's like nothing different than a regular brochure, really. It's just the CTA, you know, your call to action and what you really, how you want it to be positioned and what the goal is of it. But that um, that second client um, was unique for us because after giving it away the very first time, um, I, I don't know, I had some self-confidence in, in what we were doing very quickly and we charged appropriately for the project and we nailed it and he continued to come back for more and more. And that really started to um, plant the seed for how we pivoted the company to start building out this more retainer model, you know, where we're working with the same clients and trying to really help grow their brand as an asset and become more fully integrated with their needs. Cause we saw very early on that that really is a need and we didn't want to be a one-off company. So yeah, the second, the second client was, was a game changer for us. You totally stole my second question too. I was going to ask if there was like any change in your business model or anything like that, but you, you. Yeah, you it planted the seed. We we did not change right away. I think it was from 2009. So I opened the company in 08, but it really that first year was really developing everything, and so we really didn't get our first client until 2009. Um, so from 2009 to 2011, late in 11, we were projects still that whole time. Um, still trying to resell the clients and see what you know what is the breadth of the, their need, but it was all very project based. We didn't offer digital advertising services or any kind of thing like SEO or anything that offered that kind of retention model for recurring revenue. Um, when we rebranded um, to Element Two Twelve in late 2011. Uh, that's when I had planned this whole new business model. And we had enough staff at that at that point in business that we were able to offer more full service. So it still took a long time, but that seed was planted and that desire. It's just, you need revenue, you need capital, you need skill set, And so it does, it takes a lot longer than you think with, you know, unless you've got angel investors and you're a tech company, it takes a lot longer than you think to grow. I, that, and, and well, and speaking of hiring, um, do you have any good or bad stories about either a first hire or a bad hire? Um, yeah. Uh, my mantra with hiring is always hire slowly and fire quickly. And it took me years to learn that. Um, I did it uh, opposite. I would hire very quickly and I would fire very slowly, which was um, a really bad 
business model. Um, we did, we had uh, a couple employees that um, just were not uh, vibing, I guess, with the Element 212 culture. We're a really collaborative team and very close-knit um, and very supportive of one another. When someone's got bandwidth, we're like, hey, I've got a lot of time. Is there anything I can support you in with the work you're doing? Uh, we had one employee that just it was the bare minimum and um, sloppy work. And it wasn't just us, the owners that were seeing it. It was also team members that were seeing it. And there's some meme you'll see on Facebook here and there about, you know, the, the reason you lose good employees is because um, something like leaders don't take care of the bad employees or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it, it really is true because uh, multiple employees were coming to me with frustration about that. I just felt really bad letting him go because he was the breadwinner of his family. And it, I just felt badly, which is a terrible, terrible way to run a company. Um, so we let him go a year later than we really should have, uh, which really does hurt morale because you notice the difference immediately when that bad apple or, you know, poor employee or whatever in anyone's case is gone. And there's a big shift in the attitude and the vibe um, in the company after that, you know, I should have done that a lot sooner. Um, as far as good hires, I mean, I think we do a really good job of vetting our team members who we who we hire. Um, although we're a small company, we do go through a couple rounds of interviews and we also have an aptitude exercise so we can really see how they approach their work and how their mind, you know, what kind of strategic mind do they have and how they think things through so that we can really make sure that, you know, that they will align with the process um, that we go through. But our very first interview is all around culture fit. So I don't really ask very many, just one or two questions around the actual skill set. Um, the most important thing, in my opinion, when you're hiring is bringing on someone who is really going to align with your mission and your values, your culture, and really have those good intangibles because those can't be taught. You know, skills can be taught, but the intangibles, it's much more difficult to teach. Um, and so we really focus on that first to make sure that they're a good fit. And I think we've, we've done a pretty good job over the last 15 years of having some key really good hires. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think negative people breed negativity too. And I think it's not just like one person, uh, you, you know, if someone's negative, I think it doesn't just end at that one person. They start to kind of trickle their way into, into others that kind of maybe have a little bit in negativity, negativity in them, but yeah. it just is not because the culture is so good. Um, yeah. and I, think sometimes one bad, like you said, one bad apple gets in there. Um, and can really ruin the rest. So yeah, it's very true. And it does. People start to feed off that and then it just, it goes downhill fast. So uh, we've learned to nip that in the bud as quickly as possible and to really take our time in hiring. And the other thing I guess I would say about that when you're hiring is, is transparency. Um, I don't try and trigger coat anything about our company, salary, benefits, what the role is, because there's no point if there, if you sugarcoat it to make it look like this great position and then they come in and it's really not, they're going to leave. And so um, I try and be like really honest and 
um, make sure that that's something that they're comfortable with or that they, not that the positions are bad or anything like that, but just, you know, is this really going to align? Are you going to be happy in this role long-term? Um, so I think just being honest, a lot of people just want to make it look like, it, oh, it's so great to work here and it's just a party every day and we sit and play foosball and drink beer all day. And, you know, you see those companies, we've got a keg in the office and, you know, but what's the real work? And so really just making sure that you're being honest about what the job really entails so that you can mitigate turnover as much as possible. So has there been anyone that you thought was just going to be a home run during the interview process, maybe even a few weeks in and then just turned out not to be? Um, and then, you know, is there anything you could have changed earlier in the process, the interview process, whatever it is? Um, yes, the same person that I don't want to say name, <laughs> but the same person who um, who we brought on um, and took too long to let go. Um, I'm not. Uh, yeah. I mean, our interview process at that time, this was back in 2014 or 15, I think. Um, it's been that long since we've had a really bad hire. Um, and so, uh, and it wasn't like it was a, he was a great, nice person, just not a good fit, but, um, our process just wasn't that back then is when I did hire quickly. I think, I think now there really isn't, I think that the, the safeguards that we put in place, um, are as much as you possibly can do, uh, to eliminate those kinds of risks, I think. But um, yeah, I mean, back then, had I had this process in place, it probably would have uh-huh, shown uh-huh. some red flags, maybe. But sometimes you just don't know. I mean, sometimes people interview well, they've got the right degree, they look good on paper. This person was actually referred to us by another employee. So that was also, a, oh, okay. You know, and we've, we've done normally very well with that. We've had um, a handful of hires from team members referring uh, people that they know in the field. So um, that's been actually very good for us. But I don't know if, if, that, if there is a way to get around that other than now, you know, just really making sure that you're having one round of interviews specifically around what you're looking for as, as a person, as someone who is going, who you know is going to be a right, a right fit for your company. Are you guys all remote now? Some of you remote? What what does that look like? We have three completely remote employees and the rest of us are hybrid. Um, We, so we're in the office on Mondays and Thursdays and we're remote Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, um, which we've been doing that since 2014. So we were, this was before the pandemic. Um, I wanted to spend more time with my kids. They were at that, those pivotal teen years and I wanted to be home more. Um, and I felt like I couldn't just apply it to myself and not the rest of the team. So we all decided, you know, we decided, okay, everyone's going to do a hybrid model so we could have better work-life balance. And really for the work that we do, like technically I'm supposed to be in the office today, but there are just a few of us um, in today. Um, Other people are on vacations and um, out one is out doing a video um, shoot today. So I'm like, hey, let's just work from home today. So you've been doing it for a while then. Uh, this isn't new then, correct? Because my question was going to be, have you seen any drop off? Uh, but you've been doing it for a while. Yeah. So we've been doing remote for a while. Um well, hybrid anyway. No, this hybrid has been the best thing for our company. Everybody loves the work-life balance. We actually just added that third day in September. 
So we used to be two days remote and three days in the office. And so we did a survey to the whole team just to get feedback because I wanted to add another day. I love working from home. I love it. So you, knew, you knew it was coming with that. I, uh, yeah, I'm like, we're doing this regardless, but let's get team feedback just to make sure there's not like anarchy of we want to be in the office. And so, of course, that's not ever the case. Um, and so we added the third day in September. I mean, I'm I'm thinking over the next couple of years, I'm going to run into the challenge of more employees wanting to work remote because we've got a few that are totally remote. Ella is our most recent. She just moved to Nashville, Tennessee um, with a friend just because. And she's like, I don't want to leave the company, but I want to live in Tennessee. Can I work remote? And we're like, sure. So now when future employees, um, our strategist has dropped a few hints of wanting to move to Florida. Um, when her mom retires. And so I, I imagine over the next few years, I'm going to have more employees saying, you know, hey, they work remote. I'd like to work full remote as well. Um, and then hiring new people, it obviously opens up the door to su- such a much larger and diverse, more diverse um, talent, you know, of, of people. And um, so I'm working towards figuring that out, what that's going to look like. I mean, the hybrid model is so nice because we can still have a sense of culture. Um, I'm, I'm worried about losing that whole, like what we've built, if we mm-hmm. all go fully remote and just come together once a quarter or twice a year. So um, I'm not sure what that's going to look like yet. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this trend across the board, uh, goes over the next few years with people, you know, everybody wanting to be remote, if that's uh, sustainable or not. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of, um, positions for like CEOs and directors of operation that are totally remote. I think, how do you integrate them really into the company and do that big position with never meeting team members or really having a tangible. So um, I'm sure there's a way it's beyond me at this stage right now, but that's something that we are looking towards. So we can at least be ready if that becomes a reality for us. Yeah, no, I think it's obviously something, even though you guys have been doing it for a while to, you know, kind of plan ahead Um, to digress for a a second. I was just in like middle of nowhere, New Hampshire. And I, I was thinking that, you know, as remote work continues to get, more and more employees, um, I think a lot of people are going to start moving to middle of nowhere and and a lot of money is going to go into little towns. And it'll be an interesting just change that we see, not just in the work environment, but, you know, now that I don't need to live in a city and I hated the city or whatever, not that I do, but I can now go to Bristol, New Hampshire or whatever it is. So uh, I mean, for for businesses that don't require an office like our company, we can do our work from anywhere. It it does it is hard to justify the commute and honestly the office space, the rent, right. and, and all of that, and you know just the lost time for people just driving in. My husband just got a promotion at his work, and now he's um, going to a new building, and it's an hour away. And he's like, oh, are we moving closer to my office? Because I have to go in Monday through Friday and you, you know, only go in twice a week. And really, if we do, you know, go that far, I'll probably only come in once a week, you know, because I'm not driving that far twice a week. So it, it, you know, it's hard to justify when it's not necessary. And um, 
I really think employees do appreciate having more of that balance and more of that freedom. And then they can go where they want, you know, and life is short and people do want to be able to really experience where they live and, you know, go to the places that, that, you know, speak to them or whatever. So it's, I I like the way the trend is going. I'm, it'll just be interesting to see if it, if it lasts. Yeah. You know what I think, you know, I think a lot of companies, they worry about uh, people slacking off or, or whatever it is. But what I think actually happens is your work now becomes even more about your execution and the things that you actually got done and not just, you know, showing up and making people buy the water cooler or something like that. So I think it actually does become more um, about the work as opposed to, I guess you can maybe say culture, which obviously is incredibly important, but. So I have an interesting thought about that because, so I'm 48, uh, not old, but not young. And um, my business partner is 52 and same thing. And so one of the things that we honestly really did struggle with was the uh, 40 hours a week and how much time, you know, are you working or how many, you know, especially with our full remote workers. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them are working in the evenings because the work they do doesn't really like SEO doesn't really, it's not necessarily affected in the same way as the other departments are with strategy and things like that. And the collaboration is different. It's, it's necessary, but it's different than how the others are. And it was honestly a struggle for us to get over that mindset of, you know, nine to five, or we're actually eight to four, uh, 40 hours a week kind of thing, because really in our, in our work, in our business, and because of the size of our company and the the tight knit group that we are, if you're not doing your job, it's going to be very apparent and it's going to affect everyone else in that assembly line of work because multiple people are touching each client and work gets goes through a series of you know processes with different people. And so um, it's taken a while, but for us to get to the point of, you know, on remote days, some people may only work four hours on a remote day, but if they're getting their work done and they're keeping up with what is necessary and they're done and they've got nothing more to do, great. Read a book, do some professional development or do your laundry. I mean, as long as the work is getting done, that really at the end of the day is, is what matters. And so I think for a lot of older uh, executives, I think that's going to be a struggle for many of them because it's just the mindset that we grew up with and this younger generation that's coming in, um, they don't have that mindset. Their mindset is, you know, work-life balance and doing what they want and social community stuff and whatever. And so, um, I think as that next generation grows into C-suite positions, we'll probably continue to see a shift in what that workforce looks like and how that process goes. Cause that's what they expect. And they're getting a taste of it now because of all this post pandemic stuff, um, which is interesting, but I think it's going to be a lot harder for the older people to. Well, supposedly Americans uh, work too hard. So if we back off of that a little bit into more of life stuff, I, I think I'd be okay we with it. We do work too hard. I mean, people in Europe, I mean, they take like what, 
a three-hour siesta in the yeah. afternoon. It's like Spain. Yes, exactly. Yes. yes. Like I Americans. I was going to call out Spain uh, for the Spanish for doing that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I mean, and it is. And and you know, the older I get, the more I realize it isn't all just about work. I mean, we want to do a good job for our clients and do quality work. But if we can do that in a short amount of time, then great. Then go watch. This is us, you know, binge. That's why I'm binge watching it right now. So, <laughs> you know, well, so. A quick yeah. thing to add to that and, and then we can move on is, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, there are just some people that they work hard and when they're done, they are willing to go see if anyone else needs help or or whatever it is. And I don't think it's being in an office or not uh, that makes or shows that person. I think that's just who they are. And and again, I think if you can find that stuff through the hiring process, um, then you're getting the people that just work hard no matter what, rather, regardless of um, if it's in an office or not. So, yeah. you know, I think I think there's some of that as well. Yeah. And, and the last thing I'll say about that is I really think you have to lead by example. That's something that I've always done. And I've filled almost every role within the company. So I as we started and I would do this certain job and then hire to replace myself there and then support here and, and so on. And, um, so I can do a lot of the things that, um, Mm -hmm. our company does, not everything, but I can also fill in as backup. And so, um, there's been that example for our team members of me coming in and saying, what do you need help with? I've got bandwidth right now, or someone being gone on vacation and I'm the one monitoring the email account or whatever and supporting and doing their tasks while they're on vacation. And so, um, I think it's it still comes down from from leadership uh, for building that into the culture. You're going to have some people who just never catch on, but if that's something that you want in your business model and in in how you guys work with one another, it, it definitely does have to come from leadership down. Yeah, uh, the company I'm kind of like stirring up now. The the CEO he does data entry with us. You know, there's like it's it's just four of us. We're just yeah. starting everything. And we're all in there together doing data entry and stuff like that. So I, I completely agree. Uh, as we start to come towards the end, I just want to switch gears a little bit um, and ask a few questions that I, I tend to ask um, at the end of every episode. And that is, you know, if you had to teach something to other marketers, what would it be? Well, if I had to teach something, that's such a vast, because there are so many different areas of marketing. Um, are you able to narrow that question down a little bit? <laughs> I don't. I tried to see where you, where you take it. Um, sure. I mean, okay. Well, so let me try and answer it. So perfect. if I were to teach something to marketers, I think listening is number one. Uh, everybody wants to look like they know everything. And that, if anything, will get you into the most trouble because you don't know, you need to get into the mindset of your client first and really understand where their challenges are, what their weaknesses are, what they view as their strengths, and really just get to know them as a person and get to know their company really well. So I think making sure that you're listening uh, would be number one. And then making sure you're having, you're giving yourself enough time to really provide quality output you know, quality, whatever, if, it, if you're developing strategies or project pieces, design pieces, um, the goal in marketing is to really 
build a brand and the brand is supposed to be an asset for a company. And so for, for people who are looking at marketing as just the tools, I think they're doing a disservice to their client and to themselves because, you know, the tools are just the, the means it's what, what goes into those tools and the strategy. So, so really making sure that you're, um, being fair to yourself and your clients and giving yourself enough time to really ideate and develop and research and create and recreate <laughs> and write and rewrite and whatever, you know, um, so that you're really helping to grow a brand versus just taking orders and wasting probably their money and your time on work that isn't going to um, align with their long-term goal. So I think those would be like the two two things. Listen and give yourself enough time to do the work really well. See, now, had I narrowed that question down, we wouldn't have gotten such a great answer. So <laughs> um, any books or podcasts you recommend? This can be in marketing, in business, doesn't have to be. It can be life, anything. Yeah. Um, so there is this book called The Fix. It's by Cult cult brands, something. Um, I came across this book, uh, I was listening to a podcast and this guy, I think his name is Chris something. Now I can't remember. It's been a few years. Everything he said aligned with what we do, um, with the brain insights, the research that we do and how, um, he was saying how advertising is the tax for bad for a bad brand or something. And it just all these kinds of things of like, you know, about really growing and building a brand. I'm probably butchering that, but it was something like that. And, you know, for companies that have to just advertise and advertise to try and get people in the door instead of really growing a brand that people value and um, speak of, and, you know, and we all know who's, you know, those big brands and people think, Oh, I can't do that. Cause I don't have that kind of budget, but there are, there are, companies that have grown into that and become this amazing brand without investors and all of that. Um, so the fix was one that I just, I really loved because I really resonated with, um, and it just is exactly the way we approach branding. Um, so I loved his book enough that I bought one for all of our team and we all read the book and then we talked about it. So we kind of did a book club on that one. And he actually called me because we bought so many books and he's like, oh, I just wanted to meet you because I'm like, oh, well, you want to throw some business my way? <laughs> you know, I was, I was thinking maybe it was like, because they work, they're actually a really small company and they work with all vendors. So I was like, oh, maybe he's going to hire us, but he just wanted to meet and understand why, why are you buying so many books? Never know where it goes to, you know, like, you know. I'm like reselling them or something, but anyway, so that book was really good. And then I'm actually reading this one right now. Um, good authority. I'm not too far into it, but I like it so far. Um, how to become the leader your team is waiting for. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I'm really trying to focus a lot more on leadership and developing my skills further, um, in that area. Um, so not, I don't read a lot of marketing books really anymore. They're much more on operations and leadership. That's, that's my focus with the company now. And so just making sure that I am doing the best that I can and trying to be as professional yet fun as I can, because I, I tend to lean more of the fun and sometimes professionalism goes out the window, which is, you know, not always great. And so I'm like, okay, 
what else can I learn to be more professional? <laughs> I, I will say, I don't know if this is a weird thing to say, but uh, you've been very professional on this call. When I think on our pre-call, we were, it was a lot of, this is like very fun. I was going to comment that you, you were, uh, you were much more buttoned up uh, today, which uh, I don't, I, 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 like good. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I try to find that balance. There's a Tammy in there. That's a little bit, uh, we'll, we'll say a little bit more and everything, but <laughs> <laughs> I have to be careful because this will be live, but, a- yeah, but with the team, yeah, I tend to be, uh, a little less filtered. And so I, you know, I'm always trying to work that muscle to learn self-control when it comes to my mouth and lack of filters. So I really, I like to read these kinds of books just to encourage me along. (laughs) And uh, just as we come up to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention how people can find you and really anything else you'd like to end with. Yeah. um, So you can find us at element212.com. Um, we're hiring right now. So, um, although we did just make an offer to someone for a digital advertising role, um, but I think later this year we'll be looking to hire another brand strategist. So, um, if you're interested in checking out our company for employment, um, go to element212.com. Um, yeah. And I don't know, what else do you want to no, that was actually, I, I literally have it highlighted that I'm supposed to ask if uh, you're hiring any positions right now. And I totally skipped it by accident. So thank you for, for putting that in there. No, um, but that's it. And, and I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. And I hope everyone has a great day. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.